0: out around the world are you ready for a brand new podcast? Just a preview of what I'm going to be speaking about today on Wendell's World of Sports. But first, I got to say special dedication for those who are listening in the great country of Australia, special dedication for those who are listening in the beautiful country of Canada, special dedication for those who are listening across the globe, special dedication for those who are listening in the European country, special dedication for those who are listening in this country, special dedication for those who are listening in South America, special dedication, for those who are giving me them five-star reviews, special dedication for those who are subscribing and downloading this most interesting, this most unique, this most thought-provoking podcast, sports talk podcast that you can find is called Wendell's World in Sports. Thank you so doggone much. I'm going to be speaking about what's happening in the NFL in week four. I'm going to be speaking about the Arizona Cardinals putting the beat down on the LA Rams. I'm going to be speaking about the Dallas Cowboys beating up on the Carolina Panthers. I'm going to be speaking about the state of not only the Dallas Cowboys, but the Pittsburgh Steelers as they move to one and three after losing two the Green Bay Packers. What does it mean? And some other things, some other news of the NFL I'm going to be putting down. And as I continue to dance in the street like Martha and the Vandellas, as I continue to dance on the ceiling like Lionel Richie, because that's the enthusiasm that I bring to the table each and every week when it's putting down the thoughts and opinions of my podcast, moving over to college football, the Georgia Bulldogs, the Alabama Crimson Tides, who have separated themselves from the rest of the pack in terms of who are the best teams in college football. But man, what are we gonna do about Oklahoma? Man, what are we gonna do about Penn State? Man, what are we gonna do about Iowa? And man, what are we gonna be doing about Cincinnati? How seriously, how much respect? And I'm speaking about Otis Reddy respect, not Aretha Franklin respect. How much respect can that Cincinnati gonna get after this victory? After Uh, the beatdown or after the game that they put on Notre Dame a game that was clearly evident that Cincinnati was better. Time will tell when the chips fall what the committee, what college football thinks of the Cincinnati Bearcats. So those are the things I'm going to be speaking about today on the podcast and I've also got some NBA talk to be speaking about also. So sit back relax, enjoy, remember five star reviews man, five star reviews ladies, five star reviews That's what I need on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let me say it one more time. Are you ready? Then come on, bring up my intro and let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No gun Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C., metropolitan area, rip, ruined, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's world in sports. So glad that you could be with us. konishi Salaamreath alone. alaikum my brothers and sisters. Namaste. Shalom. Wendell's world in sports. I'm your host Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos. Mi amo Wendell Wallace. Wendell's world in sports. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Before I begin, I need to ask you number one, how are you doing? What is happening? You you're doing all right? You're doing fine? You're doing wonderful? Are you doing everything that you need to do to make your world, to make your block, to make your neighborhood, to make your household, to make your place of employment, to make your friendly neighborhood society, your friendly neighborhood community a better place to be through love, through peace, through understanding? Shut up. Listen, learn, educate yourself from those who don't look like you, those who come from a different financial background than you, those whose skin color is different than you, those who love differently than you, those who worship a different God than you. Are you doing everything that you need to do to make sure that you listen, that you respect Drop the oppression, drop the privilege, drop the discrimination, drop the stereotypes so we can go ahead and move the society in a better place. So for our children's and their children and their children and their children, the utopian society that unfortunately my generation, your generation, the generation before and after had not yet attained, can it be possible through our building, through our foundation of love, peace, unity, understanding, judging people for who they are, not from who they love, who they worship, the skin color, financial background, and such. Are we doing everything we can to make sure our children take the lessons that we didn't learn and bring this world closer together through diversity, through unity, through harmony, through love, through understanding, through respect? I sure hope you are, man, because I'm trying to do everything that I can to make sure that happens. At least I can control what I can do to make sure that happens. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Waller. So glad that you could be with us in on the podcast today you know I got to be talking about what's happening in the NFL you know I got to be talking about what's happening in college football you know I got to be talking about what's happening in the NBA you heard my you heard my preview right right you heard my promo so let's get down and speak about it week 4 in the NFL the most impressive performance come on you know you got to go with the Arizona Cardinals 37-20 over the Los Angeles Rams, I guess you could say, very early in the year. So, you know, let's not crown champions just yet. But best win of the season so far, I guess you could say, from any team that has played. The Rams came into the game with the previous best-up win of the season and a convincing victory over Tampa Bay the week before. It vaulted them to the top of most of the power rankings. If you check ESPN and CBSSports.com and NFL.com, all of the folks who cover knowledgeable of the NFL Placed the Rams in week three as the number one ranked team after their beatdown of the defending champions, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Matthew Stafford with the MVP. So the reason why I say going into week four, the fact that the Cardinals came on the road to LA against the team, again, which it had just Coming off beating the beating the uh, defending Super Bowl champions and not squeezing by, not eking by, but the domination that they showed, you have to say for so far early in the season that the Cardinals' victory over the Rams had to be the most impressive victory by any team so far this season. And the emergence of a new player, I guess, into the topic of who's an elite quarterback, who's the MVP it's Kyler Murray. New MVP after four weeks I'll play the MVP after three weeks, Matthew Stafford, against the uh, Rams, Murray. Man, he's great. He was really good. Passed for 268 yards, 24 of 32, two touchdowns, no interceptions, ran for 39 yards. Now, I know I'm sitting here and I'm saying, man, you know, Kyler Murray, MVP, this, that, and the other after four, you know, after four weeks, I've said this before, the first six to eight weeks of the season for me, treat it like a preseason. I understand in the NFL that these games count, gotcha, understand that, but what I'm saying is in terms of trying to make a determination on who's good and who's the MVP and who's going to be that guy and who's going to be that team and which team is going to uh, be true Super Bowl contenders and which teams are going to be failures and all this type of stuff before you finally build that argument in terms of, okay, this is what I'm going with, man, the NFL season is so long, man, the NFL season is so grueling, man, the NFL season it's so unpredictable with just the wear and tear, the physical nature of the sport, the injuries that happen on this, in the sport. One week, you're the best team in the league, and then three weeks later, we don't know in hell what the hell you're gonna be doing in terms of how far your fall is gonna be. So yes, I understand very, very, very small sample size when we're speaking about who's the MVP and who's the best player in the game and which team has emerged as the best team in the sport. You can go back I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years to take a look after week 4 who was quote-unquote the best team during that time and then figure out how many of those squads ultimately won the championship, how many of those squads made the playoffs, the MVP of the first four weeks, how many times have we gone out and talked about, you know, this person or this quarterback or this running back at the first four weeks, this guy's the MVP and this guy's the new flavor, this guy's the new sheriff in town in terms of the best player and blah, blah, blah. And by the end of the season, he's nowhere near the MVP discussion. So, yes, I understand Matthew Stafford, like in week three, being named the MVP. In week four, now we have Kyler Murray and myself, including that uh, moniker, including that uh, statement that Kyler Murray is the MVP. The only reason why I say Murray, the MVP, four weeks into the season, but it has more legs in terms of the discussion, Kyler Murray being the MVP, is because, you know... He's been doing this for more than just four weeks. This is not something where he's like, he's new to the scene in terms of Murray being one of those guys that you need to be speaking about as far as being one of the upper echelon, not just football players, but quarterbacks in the league. The first two months of the last season, if you remember, he was one of the young and up and coming quarterbacks who by week, what, nine was sitting there talking about having discussions of him being included in the MVP talk, I think up until week 10, right? After his Hail Murray to DeAndre Hopkins at the end of the, excuse me, at the end of the game to uh, have Arizona beat Buffalo 32 to 30. The Cardinals at that time were six and three. We speak about the MVP, we speak about the importance of the mvp we speak about you know how do we come about in terms of speaking about the mvp a lot of the discussion a lot of how the mvp gets made a lot of the uh stuff the foundation in terms of what makes an mvp not just in the nfl but in major league baseball and the nba as such is narrative you know that's one of the reasons why michael jordan didn't win the mvp every single every single year that's the reason why when he was in his prime not just jordan but uh um, LeBron James didn't win the MVP, why Shaq didn't win the MVP, why Kobe didn't win the MVP. A lot of times, the best player in the league normally doesn't win the MVP. And the reason why I say that is because once you get to that level, once you get to that plateau, once you win that award of getting the MVP, now they put the narrative in terms of what you need to do to repeat. You're already now going to be asked to do something more than what you achieved when you won the MVP. So if you take a look at Patrick Mahomes, everybody will agree that Patrick Mahomes, that you're speaking about, you know, for one season, which quarterback would I like to have lead my team? I mean, you'll have some people out there talking about I'd rather have Tom Brady you'd have people out there arguing that Aaron Rodgers would be their guy but for the most part Patrick Mahomes is that guy we're not even speaking about who would you have as your quarterback for the next five to ten years I think everybody with a brain in their head maybe Jacksonville would go with Trevor Lawrence maybe some folks would uh, try another uh, quarterback but for the most part people who know the NFL and who aren't homers would probably go ahead and say it's got to be Patrick Mahomes well I'm going to guarantee you that no matter what Patrick Mahomes does, no matter what he accomplishes in the next five to 10 years, his winning the MVP is not going to be a situation where it's going to be an everyday thing, regardless of how great he is, regardless if he does live up to his potential, even if he does live up to uh, everything that we expect him to be a hall of fame quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks who's ever played the game. If he goes ahead and the, is the leader of the squad and, The next dynasty in charge is the Kansas City football team. Patrick Mahomes is not going to be the MVP. Just like when the Patriots had their dynasty and Tom Brady was doing what he was doing, how many many MVPs did he win? And during that stretch, how many times that we said tom brady is the best player in football tom brady is that guy who i would like to have under center tom brady is the one guy who i would start my football team with during that 15 16 18 year stretch or maybe they one he tom brady's been around what 21 years so i'll say for a 13 to 14 year stretch where tom brady was clearly in charge of the success of the new england patriots at least from a offensive standpoint position how many times did he win the mvp during that time because Tom Brady got to a level to where it was like, okay, well, we've, we've seen Tom Brady do this. We've seen Tom Brady do that. Now we have other guys coming in who we didn't think was able to do what they're doing right now. And he's doing this. So the narrative is set to where, wow, this is something, this is almost like a, a brand new toy. This is like a shiny new object here. This is something where in a world where we are severely ADHD and we don't have the attention span. To really appreciate the greatness on an everyday basis, well, there's something new here. There's something shiny here. There's something here that's captured our attention. This is something here that's, uh, you know, kind of enlightened us a little bit. Tom Brady winning Super Bowls. Tom Brady doing the thing for the New England Patriots. And eh, we've been there, done that. And that's the same thing with a lot of these. A, re- a reason for MVPs. Uh oh, you know Michael Jordan you know, scoring 30 and the Bulls lead the Bulls to the championship and doing all these types of things. We've seen Jordan do that for the past 5 years. Give me a Karl Malone. Give me a uh give me a Charles Barkley. Give me something else. Give me a guy that quote unquote came out of nowhere to elevate his game to a point where we didn't think it was possible and oh my goodness with Barkley going over the Phoenix after being in Purgatory in terms of winning a championship in Philadelphia. And now guess what he's doing with the Suns? And the Suns are young and they're exciting. And Paul Westhead is playing or Westfall is playing this new up style up tempo game. This is awesome. This is wonderful. Elevating to elevating the Suns to a place where you know they've never been before. They haven't been before in decades. This is unbelievable. The storyline writes itself. So the thing with Patrick Mahomes, oh yeah, Patrick Mahomes. What can Patrick Mahomes do? That can shock us. What can Patrick Mahomes do now that can uh, make us say, wow, we've never done that before. He's going to have to throw for over 6,000 yards. He's probably going to have to throw for over 60 touchdowns. And the uh, football team from Kansas City is going to have to be even more dominant for us to really get our attention and really appreciate Patrick Mahomes for what he does after the first couple of years the narrative has already been written that story has already been told that movie has already been shown the sequel might be great the sequel might be all right but it's never going to be as great as the original right how many movies in hollywood have had sequels and the sequels have been better than the originals. Maybe Rocky, if you want to argue, I don't know. But for the most part, the original is always the best. Well, Patrick Mahomes, what he did when he first came out and caught our attention and the things that he was doing, he, he can't top anything like that. So Patrick Mahomes is not going to be winning that type of championship. All of this is to say that Kyler Murray is that brand new shiny object. Last year, to start the first four weeks of the season, it was Russell Wilson, right? Russell Wilson, Super Bowl champion. Russell Wilson, one of the best quarterbacks in the league for years. Russell Wilson finally letting, Seattle's letting Russ cook. Russell Wilson, who has never in his career, despite the accolades, despite the achievements, despite the accomplishments, Russell Wilson has never even gotten a vote for MVP, Now look what he's doing for the first four four weeks of the season. Look at the numbers that he's putting up. Look at the passing yardage that he's putting up. Look at the Seattle Seahawks record. Look at their offense. what he's doing. This, that, and the other. The narrative was starting to write itself in terms of this is the reason why I'm going to be going with Russell Wilson as the MVP the first four weeks of the 2020 season. The narrative was there. And despite what Patrick Mahomes was doing, oh, what Patrick Mahomes, what'd he do? Although for what, 350 yards, four touchdowns and no interception. Big whoop-dee-damn-do. Like he doesn't do that every week, right? But Russell Wilson, wow. This is unbelievable. I can't believe it. And oh, he's never gotten, I can't believe I never thought about that. You're trying to tell me that he he's never gotten a single vote for the MVP? Oh, this is going to be his year, blah, blah, blah. Now Russell Wilson fell off. Aaron Rodgers emerged and he won the MVP and Aaron Rodgers started building his narrative to where it was like, oh, man, we got to give it to Aaron Rodgers, even though you could have easily given it to Patrick Mahomes for the year that he had. But, you know, th- that that's the reason why I'm saying that right now, I think Kyler Murray has more legs if he continues to do what he's doing to take home that MVP. I- I- I'm not saying that in week four we should just go ahead and mark it down in ink, erasable, that we need to give the MVP to... Uh, kyler murray but i think early on in this race early on in this debate when we're speaking about who's the mvp i think kyler murray is a guy who's staying at number one could be there for the remainder of the season if he's con- continuing to do what he's going to be doing because as i mentioned before before he had that injury and uh, later on in that year that he was a uh, guy who was uh, putting up some strong numbers and he was on the, uh, he was on the up and up in terms of, you know, getting serious consideration for the MVP. So Kyler Murray is not something where it was like, this is just a four week sample. And all of a sudden now this is going to be a guy who I'm thinking I'm going to ride with. And there hasn't been any evidence before that Kyler Murray can do something like this. There e- There's evidence there. And you take a look at the team, you take a look at the narrative, you take a look at the uh, teammates around them. You take a look at the offense, you take a look at the re- responsibility that Kyler Murray has to the success, the overall success of the Arizona Cardinals. I think that he's right there for, you know, a long-term discussion about him being one of the leaders, being one of the prime candidates for the MVP of the 2021 season. Yes, even though we are only week four into what is a 17-game NFL season. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Kyler Murray, perfect definition for what an MVP candidate is to me. You take a look at his importance. You know how much importance, responsibility, impact, overall impact this man has on the success of the team. No player, I said this before last last season when I was speaking about Murray and uh, his emergence as a guy who we need to start paying attention to in terms of a consideration for MVP talk. No player outside of Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, uh, I'm going to say Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson. No player out of those three has more responsibility to the overall success of the team than Kyler Murray. Yeah, I I, I, I truly believe that. I think he had more impact on the success of the team even than someone like a Tom Brady or a, even a Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Dak Prescott, Josh Allen. I think that... Uh, I think that in terms of the overall success, if you take a look at all three phases of the franchises, you take a look at the coaching staff, you take a look at the scheme, you take a look at what's built around those players, Um, Russell Wilson, excuse me, uh, Kyler Murray doesn't have the type of defense that Tom Brady has. Patrick Mahomes or uh, Kyler Murray doesn't have all of the weaponry that. Patrick Mahomes has, nor the coaching, if you're speaking about offensive coordinator and head coach. Uh, Same thing with Justin Herbert. Dak Prescott has a running back. Dak Dak Prescott has an offensive line. Dak Prescott has very uh, talented wide receivers. Kyler Murray doesn't. Josh Allen also is a guy who I think while has a lot of responsibility, I think when you're speaking of MVP, my definition of what an MVP is doesn't have the responsibility that Kyler Murray has. So let me ask you, how, how successful would the Cardinals be if Murray had to miss time? And the fact that the Cardinals have a backup in Colt McCoy who really wouldn't be the answer, even in, short, even in the short term, that also goes into my MVP discussion. Yeah, what does a backup quarterback have to do with someone being the MVP? Again, it comes back to the success, the overall success of the team. If Kyler Murray goes down, that's the reason why Drew Brees, while as great as he was when Drew Brees went down because of the organization, because of the coaching, because they had a backup quarterback like a Teddy Bridgewater or a year, um, one year they had a Taysom Hill where they continued to win football games. It was manageable. It was possible when Drew Brees went down, that they were able to stay afloat. That in some way, small way, would hurt Drew Brees in terms of if he was being highly regarded, seriously regarded, considered for an MVP. If Kyler Murray goes down, that's it. Done. Gonzo. Same thing with Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, season's done. Expectations, done. Dreams and hopes of winning a championship, gone. Done. Done. Because Justin Love ain't doing shit in terms of uh, guiding that Green Bay ship toward that island of Championshipville. Not happening. Same thing with Lamar Jackson. The backup quarterback for Arizona is Colt McCoy. I'm sorry, if something happens to Kyler Murray and he has to miss four to six weeks, that's it. They're done. There is no defense to bail them out. There is no running game to bail them out. There is no adjustment to the offense to bail them out. If Kyler Murray goes down, done. In terms of the dreams and hopes and aspirations of the fans of the Arizona Cardinals and the organization of the Arizona Cardinals hoping to get where they want to go in terms of winning a championship, in terms of being a championship contender, done. So, Kyler Murray, the entire offense is built around that guy, around his skill set. How many times have we seen Kyler Murray bail out the Arizona Cardinals with his brain, with his feet, with his elusiveness, he's, uh, I guess you could say he's a younger Russell Wilson, if you want to uh, put it that way. He maybe is a smaller, less arm-strengthened Josh Allen, if you want to say that. So I I think that in the overall scheme of things, I'm excited about watching Kyler Murray. I don't know if the man's going to win the MVP. I'm not going to put it here in week four that he's going to win the MVP, but I think unlike some of the other Players over the years who, after four weeks, we were yelling and screaming and dancing in the streets like Martha and the Vandellas, dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie about him winning the MVP or him being the odds on favorite to win the MVP and all that nonsense. And by week six, by week eight, he was old news, he was back page news, he was no longer being worthy of having a discussion about MVP news. I think Kyler Murray. As long as he can stay healthy, and that's with any MVP candidate, right? That's with any quarterback. That's with, with any um, great football player who's important to their team, right? Always the uh, narrative of if he stays healthy, they has a shot. I don't think if Kyler Murray stays healthy. I don't know Aaron Rodgers. I don't know Patrick Mahomes. I don't know Josh Allen. I don't know Matthew Stafford is going to have enough juice to lap him or put him in the back burner, put him on the back burner in terms of MVP talk. I'm not saying that Aaron Rodgers or Mahomes and these guys would not overtake him and win the MVP as the season goes along, even if Murray stays healthy. I'm not saying that, but I'm thinking, I'm saying, I'm pontificating, I'm explaining to you that um, if uh, Murray stays healthy, continues to play at that level is going to take a really, really fantastic performance from some of these guys who's already won an MVP to go ahead and try to erase that narrative in terms of everything that um, we can write, that we can talk about, that we can speak of the shiny new toy, which is Kyler Murray. Aaron Rodgers, you might say, hey, you know what? The last time around with the Green Bay Packers and he's doing this, that's an interesting narrative, but... As I'm going to mention before, as I'm going to talk about later on in my podcast, segment two, that um, Rodgers has been more solid than spectacular. And coming off the MVP season that he had last season, it would take something even greater, even more spectacular, to really get his name, as far as, you know, wetting the lips of those who are speaking Aaron Rodgers for MVP for 2021. So, again, he's been solid but far from spectacular, so that narrative would be thrown out the window, as I mentioned before, Lamar Jackson, he's already won a Super Bowl, I'm excuse me, he's already won won an MVP, Patrick Mahomes, been there, done that, maybe, possibly, Justin Herbert, if he continues to play like he's been playing, maybe he can start moving up in terms of uh, where we speak about who's going to be considered for the mvp maybe it could be justin herbert i mean he's someone new he's someone fresh but uh, as of right now i think it's uh Kyler murray and as i mentioned before staying healthy Kyler murray is going to be in that mvp discussion when you talk about when you speak about when you bring up the discussion who's the mvp the first second third name as far as players are going to be concerned is going to be Kyler Murray. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking about Murray, one of the reasons why I think the Arizona Cardinals, as of right now, are the best team in the National Football League. Or Football League. Yeah, 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 yeah. I understand week four. But a great win this past Sunday over the Los Angeles Rams, other key players in the game who contributed against the Rams. A.J. Green caught five passes for 67 yards, had a 41-yard TD pass. Chase Edmonds ran for 120 yards. James Conner rushed for two short scores. Arizona had 465 total yards of offense on 10 possessions and 75 plays, scored two touchdowns after the Ram turnovers. So they were advantageous and took advantage of that. And for Arizona, the game itself, it was all about establishing offensive balance. One of the most important things that you can do in terms of uh, having a prolific, consistently prolific and dynamic offense. Arizona ran the ball 40 times for 216 yards and two touchdowns, and they passed the ball 32 times. If you can get close to that ratio of 50-50, great. I think the more times you run the football, establish that line of scrimmage, the better your chances are to uh, win the football game. And that's, I don't give a damn who you have a quarterback throughout history. I don't give a damn. It's great. As Patrick Mahomes is, and because of his arm talent, you would think that you would want him to throw the football every single time. No, nah, man, you need some balance. You need some balance to that offense. So Patrick Mahomes Aaron Rodgers, all of those guys. Balance, balance. Tom Brady, balance. I think for the offense philosophy of Bruce Arians and the offensive coordinator who should be highly considered as a coach in the upcoming uh, future, Byron Lefkowitz, I don't think for them their offense philosophy is getting it to 50-50, but if you take a look at um, the success of Tampa Bay last year, you take a look at the games they lost and the games they won, and you take a look at the balance of running and passing you'll see that passing the run ratio was a lot closer in the victories than it was in the defeats now yet there are you know there there are uh, rules there are loopholes to every rules you know if a team is behind they have to go ahead and start throwing the ball to get back into the game i understand those things but for the most part if you can establish a good run pass ratio then you're going to be successful Arizona did just that They ran the ball again 40 times, passed the ball 32 times. And, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, L.A. ran the ball 23 times for 123 yards, but they passed the ball 41 times. Again, you can make the argument because they were down. The game was getting away from them 37 to 13 at one point in the game that they had to abandon the run. But as I mentioned before, that is always a tall tale sign if you're looking at which team was better for that day the cardinals scored on seven of eight possessions after an opening game punt and now as i mentioned before i did i mention it before i didn't mention it before so i'm going to mention it now shut up and pay attention the cardinals are the only team unbeaten team left so there we go so i know what you're asking here on wendell's world of sports the podcast with george truly Truly, Wendell Wallace, I know what you're asking. Wendell, how good are the Arizona Cardinals? For real, man, talk to me. How good are the Cardinals? Because we are speaking about only four games. How much stock should I put into the Arizona Cardinals? Well, four games into the season, they've won in different ways in each of their first four games. Won the season opener on the road against Tennessee. That was more about the defense, where Chandler Jones had five sacks. They held Derrick Hendry to 58 yards on 17 carries. Then they went ahead and survived the missed field goal to beat Minnesota and its home opener, 34-33. Uh, to 33. Murray had a season-high Four hundred yards, three touchdown passes. Then they played down to the competition for most of the game against Jacksonville before waking up on the road and winning 31 to 19. They were down 13 to seven. Remember that nonsense about uh, Kingsbury, Cliff Kingsbury, the head coach for AZ, trying the 68 uh, yard field goal attempt um, and return for a touchdown, like 109 yards at the end of the first half, and the Jacksonville. Jacksonville Jaguar fans were, were 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 doing the funky chicken and doing the James Brown and doing the kitten play and dancing all up and down Jacksonville streets and oh my goodness we're finally gonna get our first win and even Urban Meyer was showing a little bit of life but uh, after halftime Arizona was like man screw this twenty four to six. Picked off a uh, flea flicker attempt by Trevor Lawrence, which was the worst pass, which was the worst decision I've seen in a long time. And yes, that includes all the passes thrown by Jameis Winston, all the interceptions thrown by Jameis Winston. But that was one of the worst decisions, worst uh, passes that was thrown by Trevor Lawrence at some time. Returned it for a pick six. Started the, started the, um, excuse me, started the uh, uh, comeback and, Jacksonville fell, Arizona won 31-19. And then of course we have this game against the Rams where going on the road, coming up against a team in L.A. I mean, maybe you could speak about they were maybe having an emotional letdown, speaking of the Rams, after that win at Tampa Bay or that win against uh, Tampa Bay. But still, a division win like that on the road, extremely impressive. So moving forward, hey, there's some things on defense that the um, Cardinals have to shore up, especially in the running game department. Yes, they helped Derrick Henry to 58 yards on 17 carries, but... They've had some trouble, especially in the first half, stopping the run. And when you're speaking about what Dalvin Cook did against them in in the game at Minnesota and then the uh, game against the Rams. So, you know, hey, coming up the schedule for Arizona, San Francisco at Cleveland, Houston, Green Bay Sunday Night Football at San Francisco and then Carolina. We could be taking a look at a team in Arizona that... You know, if he, if they go ahead five and oh, six and 7 and oh, maybe seven and one, seven and two, eight and two, somewhere around there, eight and two, seven and three, somewhere around there. Hey man, that would be really good. That would be really good. Best evidence to see how good Arizona is during that stretch. Go ahead and let's see how they do against that defense from Cleveland on the road. Let's see how they do, of course, against the green bay packers which is going to be a sunday night football game and if you're speaking about an MVP statement game for kyler murray well look no further than that sunday night football game against the packers where you have aaron Rodgers going up against uh kyler murray you're going to have two teams in green bay and the arizona cardinals who could be leading their division at the time. And during that time, October 28th, we could start making that narrative of these are two teams that could really challenge the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for supremacy of the uh, NFC. So it'll be a really good statement game. It'll really be a good measuring stick game to see how good Arizona is. And again, how strong the MVP situation is for Kyler Murray. For the Rams, losing for the first time at home this season, let's not put them on the back burner. Was a hangover? Emotional win over Tampa Bay last Sunday took a toll out of them, but they'll be fine. They'll regroup. I mentioned before, every team has a bad loss in them, and um, for the Rams, it was this one. Matthew Stafford went 26 to 41, 280 yards for uh, two touchdowns, one interception. It was just an off game for the. Um, it was an off game for the um, Rams, but when you have that defense, when you have those playmakers. Don't count out the Los Angeles Rams. They'll be, they'll be back and they'll be back with a vengeance. So yeah, man, I'm, it was a really interesting week in terms of looking at the Arizona Cardinals, watching the Arizona Cardinals, evaluating the Arizona Cardinals. I'm not one of these, you know, guys who are gonna go super deep and get nerdy with you in terms of uh, you know breaking down the offensive defense and all that kind of stuff. But from my Leeman's point of view of watching the games on sunday and monday and thursday and doing my homework and seeing what i need to do to have uh some type of education in terms of you know talking about the nfl i could say as of week four the best team so far in the nfl I'm not saying that they're the best team in, that's going to be there in week six or week eight or week 15 or at the end of the season through the first four weeks of the season the best team in this league are the arizona cardinals world of sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us speaking about what went down in week four of the nfl also got some college football talk i want to get into also got some nba talk i want to get into kyrie irving never makes it easy never makes it boring right with kyrie on your on your squad. Lord have mercy. I'll get into that later on in the podcast But as I mentioned before here on Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast, speaking about what was happening in week four of the NFL, spoke about the Situation with the Arizona Cardinals through the first four weeks of the season. They're the number one team. Again, as I mentioned before, this is for me the preseason, even though these games count preseason in terms of me establishing who I think are the best teams in the league, who's the MVP and everything like that. But through the first four weeks of the season, I think the Cardinals are the best team. And as far as the MVP in terms of the best player in the game right now, in terms of the front runner for MVP Status. I think it's Kyler Murray. And I gave you my thoughts and opinions about why, unlike maybe some other folks from years before, why I think Kyler Murray is going to have more legs in terms of being in the MVP discussion as we go deeper into the season than maybe some of the players in recent past who has started strong and then faded very quickly as the season went along again with the moniker, with the um, situation of... If he can stay healthy, I think Kyler Murray, what he does, what he means for the Arizona Cardinals, and the opportunity that he'll have will be in the MVP discussion if everything is situated correctly. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Some other things, some other situations, some other items to talk about concerning the NFL. Let's go ahead and talk about it, shall we? How good is Dallas? What are we talking about here with the Dallas Cowboys improved to three and one with a 36-28 victory over the previously unbeaten Carolina Panthers. Now, you could say, ooh, previously unbeaten Carolina at 3-0, who beat the juggernauts, who beat the uh, dynasties of the NFL world, the Houston Texans, the New York Jets, and the Indianapolis Colts, who I think all three of those teams have, what, won three games combined? Ooh, wow, I was really buying into the Carolina Panthers at the next New England Patriots, shit. But, hey, you know what, man? With the defense that Carolina was uh, bringing to the table, Ooh, against Davis Mills and um, Zach Wilson and Jameis Winston. Ooh, wow. Those three quarterbacks, the equivalent of Johnny Unitas, Joe Montana, and Tom Brady in his prime. Ooh, look look at the Carolina Panthers. Oh, my goodness. All right, y'all. Very funny, very funny. But, hey, the number one defense is still the number one defense three weeks into the season, three weeks into the season. Get it, understand it. No one was crowning the carolina panthers defense the 1984 chicago bears the 19 no the 1985 chicago bears in 84 they were pretty good too so no one was saying that but i mean hey you know what they were doing what they needed to do dallas came in and said yeah 1984 chicago bears type defense this motherfuckers so it was a really good game the cowboys you can say are showing that they're elite are they elite in the NF- in the nfc are we talking about it here, the way the Cowboys are playing so far this season? Are they to the NFC East, what Clemson football was to the Atlantic Coast Conference in years past? How much are how much is our thoughts and evaluations of the Carolina of the uh, Dallas Cowboys gonna be skewed because they're gonna be playing in the second worst division in the NFL, right behind the AFC South in the NFL? How much is beating up on the Washington Snyder skins? How much beating up on the New York Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles to improve the Cowboys' record overall, or how much are we going to fall into the Kool-Aid when we take a look at the records and say, wow, look at the Dallas Cowboys after 10 games. They're 7-3, and they're 8-2, oh my goodness gracious. Well, yeah, shit, they're doing this against the inferior talent And teams of the NFC East. How good are they? Well, they beat the Carolina Panthers. Ooh, big fucking deal. They beat them at home, too, 36 to 28. How good is that defense? How good is that running game? How good is Dak Prescott? How close to 100% is Dak Prescott? Has he superseded your expectations during that time? We will find out. But just going on. The small sample size of the 2021 season with uh, the Cowboys, man, so far so good. You got to put them up there at least top 10, right? When you take a look at the power rankings, okay, they might not be the Buffalo Bills. Okay, they might not be the Arizona Cardinals. Okay, they might not be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Okay, they might not be the LA Rams. Okay, they might not be in that upper echelon, but damn, the way they're playing right now, you got to put them, what, in the top seven, in the top eight, somewhere between number six and number 10, right? Right? Don't you? So far, so good. Number one defense again? Yeah. Oh, New Orleans. Yeah, the Jets. Yeah, Houston. I get it. Damn. But the Cowboys did score 36 points, piling up 433 yards. Dak Prescott threw for four touchdown passes on only 22 attempts. Remember what I was talking about before? About Balance? about having Prescott coming off of that injury in the game against Tampa Bay. Well, yeah, I understand no one tries to run on Tampa Bay because that front four is just too big and too solid. But still, having Prescott throw the ball 58 times, not a good recipe. So after that game, since that game, the balance on offense for Dallas has been exquisite through four touchdown passes on only 22 attempts. And Ezekiel Elliott, the return of the Zeke, return of the Zeke, ran 20 times. For 143 yards with a score. The old Zeke Elliott seems to be coming back. Another balanced offensive attack. Ran the ball 34 times for 245 yards. Threw it 22 times for 188 yards. I don't give a damn who are you playing. If you're going to be running the ball and gaining 245 yards. I don't give a damn if you're playing the Kansas City football team. I don't give a damn if you're playing the defending champions. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I don't give a damn. You're going to be winning football games. You are going to be winning football games and you're running for 245 yards. I don't give a damn if your quarterback is Kyler Burry, I don't give a damn if your quarterback is Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, or I don't give a damn if your quarterback is Davis Mills or flipping, I don't know, name another bad quarterback out there, Uh, Davis Mills or Jalen. Well, I can't say Jalen Hurts. He's all right. But you know what I get? You get my drift. It doesn't really matter who your quarterback is. If you're that proficient and that dominant on the ground, you're going to be winning football football games. See the uh, 2019 San Francisco 49ers. Defense for the Cowboys continues to improve. Have the Cowboys, you know, did they have 10 takeaways so far in four games? Second highest in the league, best in the NFC? Mm hmm. Yeah, Dan Quinn getting it done. Everybody's talking about the Las Vegas Raiders with uh, Gus Bradley turning around a putrid, morbid uh, defense. The um, work that Dan Quinn has done with his defense. Now, again, this is, you know, a situation where, you know, you can't perform mur- miracles, but uh, he's got them playing at a pretty decent level, and young players like uh, Tavon Diggs and Micah Parsons have made a difference to the defense. I mean, this man Diggs had five interceptions in four games. Is he going to be able to keep this up? Probably not, but still, I mean, this is a situation where one of the weaknesses of the Cowboys defense last year with the secondary secondary. So any type of improvement is a two thumbs up for uh, the defense. So how good is Dallas, man? Let me ask you this question here on one of those worlds in sports. The podcast was yours truly. Let me ask you, how good is Dallas? How much will playing in the second worst division in football again behind the AFC South with Jacksonville, Houston, Indianapolis and Tennessee shape our opinions of how good Dallas is going to be? Because I said it before, let's take a look at these teams from the NFC East, shall we? The NFC East, Washington's defense, good Lord have mercy. I thought that uh, maybe we were turning the corner. Why couldn't you guys perform like this last season? Maybe we could have gotten ourselves a quarterback instead of relying on Tyler Haneke. Ooh, Tyler Haneke. Okay, long-term, you really going to be, you know, talking about the Haneke, the Haneke, the Haneke? You're going to be needing to drink some Haneke's if you're a Washington football fan and expect him to, uh, you know, take us to the promised land in terms of being one of the elite teams who can win a championship. That was supposed to be built on the defense. Well, the defense for Washington so far, through four games has been putrid, has been disappointing, one of the biggest disappointments in the league, if just speaking about storylines. And we don't have the offense to overcome an average-to-bad defense, which the uh, Washington Snyder Skins have been so far. The the uh, Philadelphia Eagles are starting Jalen Hurts and very young skilled players at the wide receiver and running back position, so they're in real rebuilding mode and also bringing in a new coach. And the Giants have been playing with a backup named Daniel Jones for a couple of years now. Saquon Barkley is not all the way back from the knee injury. And the defense that carried the Giants for a short stretch where they were, you know, being mentioned as playoff contenders or division contenders in the NFC Least. Well, they haven't played anywhere close to the stretch of games that they played middle of the season last year. So right now they're, what, 1-3. So you take a look at this league and you take a look at the Cowboys. Hey, man, you know, they're going to be munching on and they're going to be chewing up they're going to be spitting out a lot of bad teams in that division and because of that their record should reflect that if they take care of business if they do what they need to do so again how good is dallas going to be what's going to be your opinion of dallas because we don't know what carolina is going to be about so we're speaking about you know a team whose biggest whose best game of the season well, I'll say the best game of the season. I'll say it was a win against the Chargers. I was going to say it was the opening game uh, loss against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they rebounded nicely and uh, beat the Chargers who look like they're going to be a very good team, a contending team in the AFC. So I'll go ahead and label the victory over the uh, Chargers as one and the loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as 1A. But, uh, you know, again, I'm asking you, tell me, answer me, Please return my phone call. Please return my text. How good are the Dallas Cowboys? How far are they going to go with a defense that will, I mean, how? let me put it this way. The offense is fine, but the offense is going to have to keep churning. If Dak Elliott and Ezekiel Elliott continue to play at this level consistently and the offensive line, which has been great and, is, and are getting a couple of starters back or is going to be getting a starter back to even strengthen their offensive line even more, how far can the offense take the Cowboys and how much will the defense allow them to do that because with that running game Tony Pollard is coming and has been an excellent um uh, a back complement to Ezekiel Elliott how are we going to be looking at the Dallas Cowboys as far as offensively is concerned how much how much potency do the Cowboys need to have on offense to hide the stench of what still is in improving but still albeit average defense with the Cowboys when the Cowboys defense comes back to earth you don't go from worst to first um as far as defense offenses goes, especially with the lack of acquisitions that the Cowboys made on defense. So yeah, they can improve schemes and coaching and technique and everything like that and adding and drafting a few pieces here and there, but you're not gonna go from worst to first. You're not gonna go from how putrid and and inept the Cowboys were on defense last season all of a sudden becoming a team on defense to where the offense only needs to score somewhere between 21 and 28 points for you guys to be successful. So how... Consistently potent. If that running back, if that running game, is that offensive line, is that uh, wide receiver and quarterback going to have to be for Dallas to make sure that uh, they stay elite? That they make sure that the cowboy cowboys as a team can go ahead and be competing for uh, titles and championships in the NFC. I think the NFC at least is already theirs for the taking. Yes, four games into the season, I'm going to be pretty confident in saying that. But in terms of, you know, competing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the L.A. Rams and the Green Bay Packers and teams like that, how good is that defense going to have to be going up to average to uh, get that offense to where it's like, hey, we can have that good balance and we can really compete for championships. Ezekiel Elliott in the running game again, I think it's going to be the real keys. I know Prescott is back and I know that he was the heart and soul of the team, but if that running game can continue to uh, produce like it's been producing, where, you know, after gaining only 33 yards on 11 carries in that opening game against Tampa Bay. Elliott has been, you know, the guy that uh, has been, you know, labeled as one of the best running backs in the league before the last uh, couple of seasons. He's averaged almost six yards per carry on 53 rushing attempts for for 310 yards in his last three games against the Chargers, against the Eagles, against the Panthers. And as a team against those three squads, the uh, Cowboys running attack has gained 603 yards on 106 carries there you go man there you go there you go there you go and each of the games here we're speaking about a team that has had the balance of having more rushes than passes there we go there we go there we go back and everybody else is at his best when they are establishing that run which makes that play action pass even more potent there we go there we go there we go and you take a look at the next few games for dallas here on wendell's world and sports the podcast with yours truly wendell wallace and you see the new york giants and then you see a road game at New England, then a road game at Minnesota, then they're back home for games against Dallas, excuse me, against Denver and Atlanta, and then before going on the road to play the Kansas City football team with the Cowboys. You could be looking at a team that's they're three and one right now. You could be looking at a team that's eight and two. You wanna say glass half full, glass half empty, even the biggest haters of the Cowboys, what are you gonna be looking at realistically? Without sounding like an idiot. Six to four. There's no reason why they shouldn't beat the Giants at home. Okay, New England, maybe if they continue to play the way they played against um, New England, I'll get into that game in just a second. All right. Maybe New England has a shot, but, you know, maybe going on the road to Minnesota, maybe one of these games in this stretch, they have a, you know, a bad game, an off game, like all the teams do. Is it going to be against Denver at home? Is it going to be against Minnesota on the road? I don't know how badly they're going to have to play to uh, lose to Atlanta. The way that team is looking right now, especially on defense in the secondary. But yeah, man, take a look: the Giants, Patriots, Vikings, Broncos, Atlanta, and Kansas City. That's looking like eight and two to me. What do you think? Eight and two, six and four. And when you're speaking about the, I mean, even if the worst case scenario and they're six and four is there anybody in the NFC least that's going to be taking advantage of a team in Cowboys that would be somewhat middling and disappointing if they are six and four it, can Washington de- turn it around can that defense get better can the Giants turn things around can Philadelphia grow up and take advantage of a situation if the Cowboys slip a couple of times during this stretch I don't know I wouldn't bank on it I wouldn't bet on it but um, it looks to me like this is a division for the Cowboys to uh do some romping and some rolling, some rip-roaring and ready to go towards the avenue, towards the city of Championshipville. So, there you go. Wendell's World and Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Ah! Should we get into it? Let's get into it. I know people are t- speaking about this game to start things off, but the return of the Tom, game of the century, the year, the greatest game of all time. The Return of Tom. Tampa Bay, Tampa Tom versus the New England Belichicks. Ah, oh, shucks. Oh sucky sucky now. Didn't really live up to the hype, but it was still worth watching. I thoroughly enjoyed the game. I was into the game. It was an enthralling game. The TV uh ratings showed that also. The Bucks Patriots was the second most watched Sunday night football game ever. Most watched since uh, 2012. With the highest share ever. In fact, the total average audience was around 28.5 million viewers with 1.3 million of those watching on streaming. Woo. So it was the intrigue was there. I never said the game wasn't going to be intrigued. I never said that the game wasn't worth watching. I just took offense and was just like, come on, man, give me a fucking break about all of this super duper hype and all of these storylines trying to, uh, stir up something that wasn't there. Like, you need to watch the game this Sunday between the Bucks and the Patriots because Bill Belichick and Tom Brady fucking hate each other. It's like, <laughs> it's like come on, man. I don't need that narrative to watch the game. It's a football game. But the fact that Tom Brady is coming back to play his old team, that's good enough for me. I mean, you know, this is the game of the... This will decide who was the true person who was responsible for the dynasty of the Patriots. Find out Sunday night. Was it Brady or was it Belichick? Come on, man. I mean, I don't need... I don't need that bullshit. I don't know. I, I mean, I didn't vote for Donald Trump. You know, you can't fool... I'm, I'm not that stupid. You can't uh, throw that nonsense on me. I was interested in the game. and had a good just natural, organic intrigue of Tom Brady coming back, playing his old team, that he was there for 20 years, and built the dynasty, and built the greatest dynasty in sports, that was, that was good enough for me, I didn't need any of this other ancillary nonsense, which was just based on bullshit, so, uh, I, I was happy to watch the game, I thought it was, again, it was an intriguing game, it wasn't the,
1: you know, I don't know, it
0: wasn't the, um, Rocky Apollo Creed fight of the century, you know, two that everybody was, 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 hoping it would be. Brady didn't throw for five touchdowns and 500 yards and then go to Bill Belichick's face and spit on him and say, yeah, fuck you, bitch. And, you know, um, New England didn't win uh, 30 to nothing, and Brady threw 15 interceptions, and Bill Belichick came out to uh, center field at the end of the game and gave uh, Tom Brady the rock bottom when everything was all said and done and, you know, gave him the, uh, you know, gave him the... uh, uh, you know, was ta- taunted the motherfucker. It wasn't anything like that. It was a good game. You know, it was a good game that was won by um, players other than Tom Brady. And uh, it was great. Didn't have his best game, speaking about Super Tom. But it was good enough for the victory. He posted his lowest uh, stats in terms of completion percentage. It was raining, so, you know, the weather was not advantageous for him to go nuts. But he completed 51% of his passes. Only threw for 200, I should say only, uh, passed for 269 yards, had a passer rating 70, which was the lowest so far this season. Didn't throw a touchdown for the first time this season, 22 of 43 for 269 yards in rating weather. But he let the fourth quarter drive that led to Ryan Suckups getting the game winning 48 yard field goal with 237 left in the game. And he broke Drew Brees' NFL passing yardage record, which is going to be nice, which will probably stand for about, I don't know, 12, 13 years before Patrick Mahomes throws for like 100,000 yards and never beating into that. But, uh, you know, it was also important because Brady, with the victory over New England, is now one of a few who have actually won, who have actually had a victory against every single team in the NFL. Brett Favre, Drew Brees, and Peyton Manning are the others. So, hey man, it was uh, it was a good game. The weather conditions forced Tampa to balance out their offense. So Brady threw the ball 43 times. The uh, Buccaneers ran it 30 times for 119 yards for. Bruce Arians, Mr., uh, you know, throw the ball down the field, and Mr. Uh, No-risk-it-no-biscuit. That's about as uh, balanced as you're going to get The a situation like this. I think Leonard Fournette was one of the uh, guys who played an important role, had 20 carries for 91 yards, caught three passes for 47 yards. I think if you really take a look at this game, if you really want to uh, put aside the Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, love, hate, whatever bullshit you want to uh, form as a narrative, the most substantive storyline that came out of this game Looks like New England have themselves a quarterback for the future in Mac Jones. Now, is he going to be of the same ability if everyone reaches their potential? Is he going to be on the same stratosphere, say, as Trevor Lawrence or a Zach Wilson or Trey Lance or a Justin Fields if all of these quarterbacks, including Mac Jones, max out on their potential? No, but he looks like a guy who could be a starting quarterback for a team that can win a championship. Sunday night, he went 31 for 40 for 275 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, even though there were a couple that could have been, a couple of passes there that could have been intercepted. I'm thinking about uh, Devin White, who had a real good interception on a throw that was across the field that Max Jones threw, and Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth were going into there. Yeah, if this was a school paper, he would have gotten it F. The teacher would have wrote, see me on it. Ah, 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 but yeah, that was a bad pass. So, Yeah, he made some pretty bad passes, but, you know, he picked up the blitz wells. Collinsworth was talking about how well he was reading the defense, the accuracy was there. Now, as he progresses in his career, you know, we're going to have to ask him to throw the ball down the field more because his pass, you know, his his yards per pass was very low. I think it was somewhere somewhere around six. But uh, I think the overall, you know, deal with Mac Jones in the – New England Patriots is the fact that, man, those guys have found themselves a quarterback. And in the, you know, the really the first big game of his NFL career with all the hoopla and all the hype surrounding, I think Mac Jones was composed. I think Mac Jones played very well. Had nothing to do with, well, he played at Alabama and he played in all those big games. No, 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 no. When you're speaking about a game like this, um, whole nother level, whole nother universe, whole nother country. So I think Mac Jones established himself as the quarterback for the future and definitely, at the very least, it was the right decision. I think he is um showing that it was the right decision for the Patriots to go ahead and move along with Mac Jones and let Cam Newton go. In fact where was has Cam Newton gotten a job yet? Oh Lord have mercy. When all the black folks on MSNBC are going to be coming out there talking about the only reason why Cam Newton doesn't have a job is because he's black and the NFL likes to blackball black football players and take a look at Colin Kaepernick. So this is another example of a man, of a black man playing quarterback who should be in the league playing quarterback, that's not playing quarterback because Cam Newton is a black man and this, that, and the other. I'm waiting for that narrative. I am waiting for that narrative. I am waiting for that narrative. <laughs> and guess what, y'all? y'all are wrong, watch some sports, <laughs> watch Cam Newton play, this ain't 2015, I know what's coming, so I'm getting out my pushback on the, the only reason why Cam Newton is surprising to me, right, mm, Cam Newton's not in the league, Cam Newton's not starting for a football team, mm, mm, mm. I wonder what the reason why that is, right, what's the skin color again, mm, mm, mm. Nah, I'm, I'm waiting for that bullshit, so I can be like, nah, wrong, wrong argument, that's a good argument, that's an argument that needs to be had, but wrong person when you're applying that argument to with Cam Newton. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. so glad that you could be with us speaking about some things that were happening in the NFL on Sunday. Let me see what else we got here. Oh, yeah, some teams that have yet to live up to expectation. What in the hell is going on with the Miami Dolphins? if things are going to be continuing this way, are they going to go ahead and punt on this season? Football term, punt on this season. huh? Yeah, yeah. Look, I understand it's four games. It's four games. I know, I know what I just said. Who cares? You don't read anything at the four games. You never know. The Dolphins started off putrid a couple of years ago, and they turned things around and almost made the playoffs. But this was a team that had expectations of making the playoffs, uh, at least really competing strongly for the playoffs. And for... The second week in a row, second week, week in the, in the in, second week in a row, English Wendell. Second week in a row, they looked like the pro football version on offense of the Wisconsin Badgers, losing 27-17 at home. Miami put up 203 yards total offense, averaged four yards per carry or four yards per play. The week before that, they averaged four yards per play in an overtime loss to the Raiders against the Indianapolis Colts. Decent defense, but their defense has been injured, and they haven't been a team that uh, on defense that many people thought they would be. So, what are we going to do now about the um, Miami Dolphins moving forward here? Because that defense is good, but this offense is terrible. It's terrible. I I, I don't see how, when, where, why, with the personnel they have right now, where they're going to get better. Jagobi Percet, the backup quarterback, subbing in for an injury to a tongue of Iloa. Twenty for thirty, 199 yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, on paper, it looked pretty good. Then you realize that 123 of those yards came in the fourth quarter when Miami was down 20 to three and 27 to 10. Now this is impressive. Running game was non-existent for Miami. 16 carries, 35 yards of the team. Leading rusher with eight carries, 23 yards. Malcolm Brown. H- how much longer? If you're a Miami fan, how much longer are you going to tolerate this? And if you're one of these guys on defense for Miami. How much longer are you going to be able to hold this shit up? Because this was the third consecutive game in which the Dolphins allowed at least 20 consecutive points. They lost 35 nothing in week two to Buffalo. Gave up 2,500 unanswered points last week in their loss at uh, Vegas. And then watched the 3-0 lead become 20-3 this uh, past Sunday against Indianapolis. What are we doing here? How, how, how? And, oh, by the way, next week they play at Tampa Bay. Oh, great. Wonderful. What are we going to do here, guys? What are we gonna do? I'm, 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 I already spoke about getting Deshaun Watson, but even if you go ahead and get Deshaun Watson, what does it mean? I, 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 I they, these guys need playmakers, man. These guys need playmakers, and they don't have any playmakers. Deshaun Watson can't throw it to himself. Deshaun Watson is already dealing with some shit right now. I mean, what what wh- what type of shape physically and mentally is Deshaun Watson in anyway? I mean, dealing with all of this uh, legal stuff. Well, what what's his mindset? I mean, is he prepared? I don't know. I don't know. So getting I, I don't think the 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 elixir to this problem. Well, I don't think the the, the antidote to this problem of Miami not having any offense is getting Deshaun Watson and everything's just going to start turning around for them. I think this season damn, man. I want to see this. I'm not going to say this after four games. I'm not but so far, I'll say so far. I don't know what to do. Now, I'm not the coach. I'm not the offensive coordinator. I'm not one of the three offensive coordinators. Don't know exactly. I'm not educated enough in the offensive schemes and game plans of uh, NFL football for me to go into the Miami Dolphins uh, coaching offices and say, hey, fellas, this is what you need to do. But, um, you know, is is, is Tua going to be the guy that's going to solve all your problems? He was mediocre at best middling at best. i I went over all this with the Dolphins. I'm not gonna go over with the, it again. It's just you know you, you draft Jaden Waddle. Okay, Jaden Waddle would be a nice compliment as a you know as as a long as a you know as an over the top type of receiver, but Jalen Waddle, how many speed receivers, how many Jaden Waddle ish type guys who rely on their speed as their biggest strength, as their biggest uh reason for being out there, how many of those guys are number one receivers? How many of those guys are possession receivers? I mean, not not many, if any, throughout the annals of NFL history. Speed burners, the Deshaun Jacksons of the world, they're not number one receivers. They're not possession receivers. You know, they're complimentary receivers who can take the top off the defense. And you drafted him at number six and gave up draft picks to do it when you could have gotten Devonta Smith. Second draft in a row where you might have whiffed big time. I mean, you already screwed up with um, drafting Tua over Justin Herbert, and now you're going to go ahead and you're going to miss at the wide receiver position with uh, the way Devonta Smith is looking? I don't know. I don't know. We're still early on in the process, but so far at the end of the first quarter, the Dolphins scaling department is losing. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hey, 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 hey. How about the... um, Chicago Bears and Justin Fields, huh? Huh? How about that? Those guys finally look like an offensive football team, huh? Those guys finally look like an NFL football team. Beat Detroit 24 14 to approve and two with a two. Bears head coach Matt Nagy gave up play calling against the Lions. Hallelujah. Offensive coordinator Bill Lazor was the one calling the plays on Sunday against Detroit. First time that Lazor has called plays for the Bears this season. Drew up schemes and game plans late in the 2020 season for him. And then that time that he was calling play for the Bears, they averaged 27 points and 348 yards per game. Why wasn't he doing this before with uh, fields? I don't know. And Nagy's up there talking about, yeah, everything is going to still go through him. Well, what does that mean, coach? Just believe me, everything's going to go through me ultimately. What does that mean, coach? Believe me, that's all I'm going to tell you. All right. All right. All right. But Chicago scored touchdowns on their first two possessions, had 373 yards total after being held... By Cleveland, the 47 yards, which was the ninth lowest total in NFL history. And Justin Fields, who looked like he didn't know what the fuck he was doing out there the week before, went 11 for 19, 209 yards, no touchdowns, one interception, but he looked like a guy where Chicago Bears fans have some hope that finally we have ourselves a fucking quarterback. He made some plays that gave, you know, the Bears fans hope that, hey, man, guess what, man, you know, in 2022, 23, 24, 25, 26, we have ourselves a franchise quarterback through a 64-yard pass to Daryl Mooney in the first quarter on second and 11, first drive of the second half after the Lions went three and out, and then after the kickoff, he threw a 28-yard pass to Allen Robinson, then on second and nine for Detroit's 36-yard line, threw a a beautiful pass to uh, Bobby Priceland, Chicago eventually scored to make it 21-0. We have ourselves a quarterback, possibly. Finally. Goodness gracious. So give it up for Justin Fields in terms of now we can start evaluating this guy. All right? There's going to be games where he's going to stink out loud. There's going to be some games where he's going to be really good. But now we have some consistency here. Now we have something to build upon. Now, Nagy is up there still talking about... When Andy Dalton is healthy, he's going to be the starting quarterback. Jeez, though, flippity flop. I already gave my opinions about that on my prior podcast. My main thing was, I don't know what the marching orders are for uh, Matt Nagy. I don't know in terms of what his expectations are from ownership, from the folks who are signing his check. I don't know if they're saying, look, if you don't win a certain amount of games, regardless of who's playing quarterback, you're going to be fired. I don't know if it's a situation where, look, your job is going to be dependent upon the... Um, maturation and development of Justin Fields, and we'll give you two years from that. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's all about. But the way Nagy is talking about when Andy Dalton is gonna, when Andy Dalton is ready to play with his, when he's coming off injury, that he's going to be the starting quarterback. To me, it sounds like a guy who's fighting for his job. And if I'm the Bears organization, I don't give a damn about Andy fucking Dalton. Andy Dalton is not going to win me a championship. Andy Dalton is not the future to my organization. Andy Dalton, I'm not looking to make Andy Dalton the face of my franchise, a historic franchise like the Chicago Bears with so much meaning and importance in that part of the uh, country. Andy Dalton's not going to be my guy moving forward. It's going to be Justin Fields. So I need to know if you're going to be the coach who's going to be competent enough, who's going to be able to uh, work with Justin Fields and make him the quarterback that we're all dreaming of when we moved up nine spots and gave away some of our draft capital in the future to get this guy. What's Andy Dalton going to do for us? What, make us, what, 6-11, and 7-10? What the, what the hell does that mean? I'd rather go 5-12 and 12 with Justin Fields for the entire year than go, what, 8-9 and nine with Andy Dalton. Either way, we're not making the playoffs, and either way, we're not close to winning a championship. We're never going to win a championship with Andy Dalton as our quarterback. Not this year, next year, or the years moving forward. So I don't know exactly. I don't I don't know. I'm not in practice. I don't have the acumen or the education or the intelligence or the talent to be a football coach like uh, Matt Nagy has. So I don't know. I don't know the inner workings of what's going on that would make Nagy come up with that decision. But strange from the outside looking in and with the ignorance factor being in terms of evaluating uh, who's going to be the best quarterback for your team. From a layman's point of view, it sure looked like Justin Fields on every other you know, in every other definition, but I don't know, I don't know, Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, hmm, should I save Irvin Meyer for next segment, and mix it in with the, um, mix it in with college football, I've got uh, Buffalo winning over Houston, 40 to nothing, their third game in a row, they're looking good, man, they are looking good. Yeah, they played Miami. Yeah, they played Washington, and yeah, they played Houston. Good threesome to get your offensive mojo back, especially if you're Josh Allen. Speaking about Buffalo doing what they need to do, though, combined score of 118-21, two of those three games being shutouts. So, yeah, they might have played Miami, Washington, and Houston, three teams that are struggling, but they did what they needed to do. And Josh Allen, thanks to those three teams, is starting to round into 2020 uh form. Last three games, he's completing 65% of his 109 pass attempts, 785 yards, eight, t- eight touchdowns, two interceptions against Houston, 20-29, of 29, 248. Yeah, balanced offense, running game, going for 421 yards, these past three games for Buffalo, turning it around. Next week game, the Sunday night game against Kansas City, that'll give us a little bit of uh, insight about what's happening with them. And then you got Pittsburgh losing at Green Bay, two teams that seem to be moving in opposite directions. Green Bay improved the three and one. Pittsburgh lost three straight, now one and three. Green Bay is, to like I mentioned before, solid, more solid than spectacular the last three games, played down to the competition in the first half against Detroit. Remember, they were down against the Lions. Jared Goff was throwing the ball all over the place. They now scored them 21 to nothing in the second half for a 35-17 win. Statistically, Aaron Rodgers had a big game, then won a tight game against San Francisco on the road, 30-28 to 28 on the last second 51-yard field goal attempt by Mason Crosby after giving up the lead on a touchdown pass by Jimmy Jam Garoppolo with 37 seconds left. Aaron Rodgers said, no, no, no. And then a solid victory this past Sunday against the Steelers, the reunited... Duo of Aaron Rodgers and Randall Cobb, who made exquisite Allstate commercials back in the day, um, hooked up for a couple of the scores. Randall um, Randall had his best uh, game in a couple of seasons. So Aaron Rodgers, just like the Packers, as a team, solid, not spectacular, solid. Last three games in this winning streak, 258 yards per game, completing 65 of 93 passes, eight touchdowns, no interceptions, solid. Not spectacular, solid. Not going to be speaking about MVP, but solid. You're speaking about Aaron Rodgers if he plays like this, the chances of Green Bay being contenders for the uh, NFC, solid. You know They ain't blowing anybody away. They ain't wowing anybody, but a win's a win. They haven't been playing the toughest of competitions, but they're doing what they need to do. Some inconsistencies there, but uh, a win's a win, and they're going to continue to get better. Pittsburgh, on the other hand, everybody was, I'll say it, I'll go ahead and say it. Calling out around the world. Are you ready for a brand new beat? Steeler fans were dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas. And oh, what a feeling when we're dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie. Well, after that game against Buffalo. Down the toilet the last three games, the Steelers have gone. Losing three straight, failing to score 17 points in each of the game. And now... I'm sorry to say, man, this is, this is like not a trend anymore. Since opening the 2020 season with 11 straight wins, Pittsburgh has now lost eight of the last 10. Where are we focusing this blame on? The Hall of Famer. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. Steeler fans, I'm sorry, but where else are you going to put it? Where else are you going to put it? Don't give me the coach bullshit. He's not out there coaching. New offensive coordinator doing nothing. Offensive line still a work in progress. Defense has been solid. Defense ain't the problem. Defense is not the reason why you've lost eight out of the last ten. I know you don't want to hear it. I know it, but come on, man. Be for real here. The problem is the offense. Where on the offense are we speaking about? You're not going to blame Najee Harris, are you? <laughs> you're not going to he ain't the he ain't the problem. It's not the wide receivers. You're not going to blame them, are you? The offensive line? Yeah, okay. Work in progress. Needs to improve. What's the one person, what's the one position we're we're leaving out here that we need to uh, talk about, that we need to address? Men Roethlisberger. I made the... Hey, look, I made the... I thought out loud and I told you guys this. When does Pittsburgh say... It could be four weeks from now. It could be six weeks from now. I don't know, but... When the smoke clears, when they get a little bit more information... Do you call up Houston if you're Pittsburgh and say Deshaun Watson? What is go- what is it going to take? Is it going to? I'm not saying that you definitely make the move, and you know I'm just I'm just calling you to do due diligence. Hey, you know Houston, what's happening? Houston, I see that you have a problem here with Deshaun Watson. We might be able to help you out. Talk to me. What's it going to take? Who's your daddy? How much is that? All that stuff. Maybe it's a situation where the phone call only lasts a minute. Like okay, bye. Click. Moving on to another. Um, moving on to another possible solution, but you gotta do something man, you gotta do something I mean Ben Roethlisberger ain't gonna get any younger, his arm's not gonna get any stronger, his athleticism's not gonna get any better he's not going to de-age what are we gonna do here with him do we just ride out hopefully and he'll turn things around 8 out of the last 10 they've lost 8 out of the last 10 what are we going to do when I come back yeah screw it I'm going to talk about Urban Meyer and then I'll mix it in with um, mix it in with some college football talk we've got Alabama we've got Georgia and we've got everybody else so Wendell's World of Sports this is Wendell's World of Sports I'm Wendell Wallace speaking let me go ahead and uh, get my groove on and uh, I'll be right back give me that music (laughs)
1: Bucka, 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 bucka. Ha ha. You know the deal. This is by Supremo for all of my people, Negroes and Latinos, and even the Gringos. Yo, check it. One for Charlie Hustle, two for Steady Rock. Three for the fourth coming live, future shock. Five dimensions, six senses, seven from amidst the heaven and hell. Eight million stories to tell. Nine planets faithfully keep an orbit with the probable tenth. The universe expands length. The body of my sex possess extra strength. Power the powerless up, out of this and inferno. Lighting so hot it burn through the journal. I'm blacking it midnight on Broadway, a myrtle. Hip hop past all your tall social hurdles like the nationwide project. prison industry complex, Working class four better keep your Set. too loud to ever hear. Freedom ring. Say it back in you sleep. It's dangerous to dream, but your cats, if they chip, dead now. Need blood the cash cow. Game, but shit don't add up somehow. Like I got sixteen to thirty-two balls to
0: it, but only 15% of Wendell's World is sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. K me. I'm a Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World is sports. Oh man. Woo, boy, I um, moved when I should have moved the other direction. Um, took less Mills' body pump, trying to get myself back into shape after taking a little bit of an hiatus. You know, this whole new schedule that I have going up to Mesquite to uh, substitute every day. I throw my workout plans awry. And really, it's really an excuse for me not to do it. It's laziness, it's immaturity, it's non-dedication on my part. If I wanted to stay in shape, I could. But I'm a, I'm a lazy, worthless, fat piece of shit, so um, I'm paying the price for it, but if I get on a routine of doing it on a consistent basis, I'll stick with it. Once I get on a routine, I'm fine, but once that routine is shattered, once that routine is altered, it's, uh, you know, I can't promise you anything, but I'm trying to establish a routine of, you know, when I go up to Mesquite, when I stay overnight, when I come back, when I do my last Mills body pump and all those type of things, so Monday... I went ahead and I did it, recording this on a Tuesday, and my ass is fucking hurting along with my calves, and my quads, and my hamstrings, so, you know, oh well, that's what you get for being fat, old, lazy, and uh, all those other things. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, but I'm single and still really ready to mingle, right? Yeah, sure. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, speaking about what's happening in the... World of sports. All right, before I get to college football, let me go ahead and tackle this um Urban Meyer situation. He's at it again, y'all. He's at it again. Urban Meyer said Monday he apologized to his team, his family, and owners shot Khan after a viral video surfaced over the surfaced over the weekend that showed a young woman dancing close to his lap at his restaurant in Columbus, Ohio. So Oh, well, the situation went down. Urban uh did not fly back to Jacksonville with the team after the game on Thursday night against Cincinnati. Instead, he went to Columbus to visit his grandchildren. All right. Meyer said that he and the family members went to his restaurant, Urban Myers Pine House, okay, on Friday night, and that people at a nearby event asked to take photos with them. Okay. But Meyer, where he started getting in a little bit of trouble, and he said it himself, he said he should have left when people tried to get him to dance with them. <laughs> what? A uh, nine-second video showing Meyer sitting with his back to the bar in an Ohio State pullover while a young woman danced close to his lap was posted to social media on Saturday night. And roughly an hour after Meyer's uh, news conference on Monday, another video emerged on social media that appeared to show Meyer groping a woman's bottom, his her ass, While he was sitting at the bar, the woman appeared to be wearing the same clothes, jeans, and a white top as the woman in the first viral video. Okay, now we have to find out very something. This is very, very important, and I'm deadly serious about this. The woman who emerged on social media that uh, Meyer was groping, that uh, Meyer was grabbing her ass or whatever, was the woman attractive? We have got to know, because if the woman was butt ugly, he's fired. He's gone. He's out of here. Get him out of here. The woman was good looking. Hey, Herb, now we're talking. Now, what really could happen for about 74 million people in this country, if Meyer would grab the woman by the pussy and then, you know, do that, then, you know, he could run as a Republican for the presidency of the United States. And white women would just forgive him no big deal. Just saying, just saying. But yeah, bad look, bad look all around. So owner Shot Khan issued a public reprimand of Meyer for his behavior over the weekend. What he said in the statement was, I have addressed this matter with Ermin. Specifics of our conversation will not be held, will be held in confidence. What I will say is his conduct last weekend was inexcusable. I appreciate Ermin's remorse, which I believe is sincere. Now he must regain our trust and respect. He has no respect in the locker room. That will require a personal commitment from Urban to everyone who supports, represents, or plays for our team. I am confident he will deliver. Based on what? Um. Bad decision. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's not the most horrible thing in the world. I mean i don't I don't I don't know what his wife thinks about that. The fact that uh, he was shown groping another woman. I mean, I'm quite sure that he has a lot bigger problems dealing with that at home with his wife than maybe with the uh, fellas on the team and such. I mean, both are a big deal. But you know, what makes this story big and why it's another example of hiring Meyer being a mistake. It's just another example of so far with him being the coach of the Jaguars. Another example of the history of failures, the repeated failures of Meyer to be, of being an NFL head coach because of his lack of awareness, his lack of common sense. Look, man, if Jacksonville, every oh, this is terrible, this is horrible, this is a fireable offense. If Jacksonville was 4-0 and or 3-1 and and Meyer was showing signs that he could have success as an NFL head coach, this wouldn't be a big deal. Really, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. It'd be eye-opening, it'd be a uh, little juicy story, it'd be, "Mm, ain't that something. But, you know, the stuff about, you know, this is a fireball offense, and this is an embarrassment, and, you know, he had to apologize and do all these type of things. This is all based on the fact that he is failing miserably as a NFL head coach. This is what all this uh, ties into. And the fact that he doesn't realize that he has a team that doesn't trust him, not based on what he does what he did on this past weekend because of other things like oh I don't know um, you know hiring a staff where he's hiring some of his buddies from college with no coaching experience and they're not listening to the guys who have NFL coaching experience having dysfunction having mistrust uh, within the uh, confounds of the uh, of the um, the workplace of the organization uh, for the Jaguars the fact that he hired a racist, and a bully as the strength and conditioning coach. The fact that he gave his buddy Tim Tebow an opportunity to try to make the squad as a tight end, when he's never played that position before, all of those things tie into the fact that what he did on Friday makes it look a lot worse than what it really is. Look, he went out for a drink. He went out to his own place up there in Columbus, and he started, you know, saying hello to a female that wasn't his wife. Okay, that's you know that in in in, in the in the NFL where the minority hiring practices are beyond atrocious with the whole Colin Kaepernick situation, the ties to the con man piece of shit that was the president for the past four years, the owners taking their side on uh, such things in terms of cultural uh, issues and such. The NFL has so many other embarrassing things that they can be embarrassed about. I mean, shall we also mention the fact of the uh, players getting in trouble and other things, domestic violence and, and other things? What Urban Meyer did was, you know, was it, it was a bad look, it was a poor judgment, but it wasn't something that should be garnering all of this attention. He's getting this attention because of the pattern of poor decisions and lack of awareness of uh, of, of the situations that he's doing. Again, if he was four and zero, three and one, no big deal for coaches like Bill Belichick. Mike Tomlin, Sean McVay, Sean Payton, even Sean Payton who got suspended for a year because of Bounty Gate, Andy Reid. These coaches could get away with this behavior again. Will it be ha ha hee, he he? Will it be something where it's like naughty naughty naughty? Will it be that type of thing? Yes. But if Bill Belichick was caught on video, you know, doing some shit like this, if Mike Tomlin maybe with the Steelers organization it's a little bit different because of the uh, culture of that organization might be a little bit different, but fireable? Sean McVay, Sean Payton, Andy Reid, if they were caught in the same situation, with these pundits and with these people and with these experts be talking about they need to get fired? Would it be another wedge in the credibility between the relationship with them and their players? No! No! Why? Because Bill Belichick, Mike Tomlin, Sean McVay, Sean Payton, Um, Andy Reid and about probably 10 or 12 other coaches, Jim Harbaugh and such, these guys have built a relationship. These guys have the respect of their players in terms of them being A, a man, B, a head coach who actually knows what the fuck he's doing, C, a head coach who actually cares about them as people. So they would have that built in, they would have that foundation of that relationship to be like, hey coach, you know, I I hear what you're saying. Again, was the female good looking? I mean, that would be, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Even in this day and age of wokeness, you don't think those players in that locker room, maybe not with Bill Belichick because he kind of, you know, had that distance between them. But with some of these coaches, you don't think that some of those players would be like, hey, coach, hey, you know, I saw that video. Huh? If you're going to cheat on your wife, huh? that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a good time with that and the other? It was their bye week. Or I'm sorry, it was they had a Thursday night game. I'm quite sure that Meyer probably gave them the weekend off, or, you know, we'll see you Tuesday or Wednesday or something like that. You know, normally. You know, if a coach is feeling froggy, or if a coach is feeling good, if the coach is, wants to give a little treat to their players, that you know what? Hey, everybody, stay away from the uh, confines of the uh, of the um, of the team until Tuesday. You know, don't don't come into the office until Tuesday. I want to give you Monday off. So I'm quite sure Meyer was like, hey, you know, tough loss. Like the way you guys are playing, we're so close. This, that, and the other, we're improving. You know, you guys played hard. You know we'll see you guys on Monday or Tuesday or some shit like that. So these players had time over this weekend or whatever to kind of get away, you know, recharge, regroup. And I'm quite sure there were players who took advantage of that and, you know, went back home or, you know, had a little quick, you know, vacay or some shit like that, I don't know, but, you know, so this wasn't like, you know, Meyer going to Columbus to hang out with his grandkids and go to uh, his own bar to relax or whatever, I mean, that's not the worst thing in the world, even under football standards, even under pro football etiquette and protocol, but, you know, the fact that, again, he's a coach who doesn't know what the hell he's doing, a coach who is, uh, again, the Main person for team dysfunction. Reports of team dysfunction. Signing Tim Tebow to try out for a tight end. Hiring a college strength and conditioning coach with allegations of racist and bullying behavior. You can't get away with anything like that. And again, it's a situation where these players don't give a shit about that. They give a damn about this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, and this guy's in charge of my livelihood. That's that's the main thing. I I, I don't know how much longer this is going to last. I mean, not not just for Jacksonville the ownership and everything itself. I, I don't know how much more of this can continue. I really don't. I, I I don't I I just don't. I mean now we're we're turning mountains into mole we're turning molehills into mountains with some of this shit. And it's all his doing. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm I'm just saying we, we, we've all known when we've been at a place of employment where people don't want us there. Or people who are listening to this podcast, sometimes we have a decent idea of you know what? These guys really don't like me and they're looking for a reason to fire me. So I can do like 18 things, great, but on the 19th, if I do something wrong, it's going to be like, "Oh, you're the shit. Get the fuck out of here." It just seems like I don't know, man. And it, I'm, I'm not saying that Meyer is doing this on purpose, but as things continue to devolve, because I don't think they're going to win that many games, I just think instances like this are just going to be again part of the entire plate or the or the or the entree of, you know, Shasta Khan having to eat the decision of, man, we hired this guy, we got to fire this guy. One year. It's been done before. See Steve Wilkes, who have been uh, fired after one year. The experiment didn't work. So far, it's not working. I don't know exactly what's going to be happening, but you tell me where the turnaround is going to be with this guy and with this team and with the trust. If you start winning, all of this will be forgiven. If you start doing what you're supposed to be doing, all of this will be forgiven, but... Urban Meyer at 57 years old. Is he going to change? Do people change, especially as successful as he's been? I don't know. If I would put my money on it, I would say no, but I don't know, man. I don't don't know the guy, so I don't know what the situation is there. I I don't know. I don't know. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Quickly, let's go ahead and talk about some college football. Week five, what did we learn from this past weekend in college football? There's Alabama, there's Georgia, and then there's everybody else. Congrats. Number one, Bama beat number 12, Mississippi, 42-21. Number two, Georgia embarrassed Arkansas 37 nothing. who was ranked number eight. Alabama's victory over Mississippi was not as close as the score indicated. Alabama was up 28-0 at the half, 35-0 after the third, and 42-7 in the fourth. So, you know. Brian Robinson Jr. rushed for 171 yards, four touchdowns. Bryce Young went 20 at 26, 261, two touchdowns. Dominance Homes. Alabama had 27 first downs, went 9-for-17 on third and fourth downs, while Mississippi early in the game couldn't, com- couldn't make a fourth down to save their lives. The team controlled the clock. Speaking of Alabama, for almost 38 minutes, it was domination now. Next Saturday in primetime, they play Texas A&M, which was supposed to be like a, ooh, hey, maybe we're, no, no. Texas A&M, without their starting quarterback, lost their second game in a row, losing to Mike Leach, 26-22 Mississippi State. So let me take a look at the remaining games for Alabama after A&M. At Mississippi State, Tennessee, LSU, LSU, geez, who lost to Auburn. (laughs) New Mexico State, Arkansas, and at Auburn. You know, I take a look at this. I don't know, man. I take a look at the schedule. Auburn, maybe. Bonex goes nuts. I don't know. I, do you see anything here that might resemble a threat to uh, Alabama? New Mexico State? No. Arkansas? I mean, the way they played against Georgia? Are they going to be able to keep up? I don't know. Don't see it. So, I'm taking a look. Maybe Auburn. Who knows? I think Auburn has the athletes. But uh, and Bonex might play out of his might play out of his Knicks, but other than that, I don't see anything stopping Alabama from going undefeated, but week after week, you never know. Georgia, you know what? Georgia might be the best team in the country, if you really think about it, just based on performance, because not only did they beat, then might be flawed, might be overrated, but they then beat a top five team in Clemson to begin the season, and then they just put a whooping on whoopings on Arkansas, who came in. Uh, Red Hot, number eight in the country, beat them 37 to nothing. They did an Alabama on an opponent, speaking of Georgia, 37 to nothing. And they did it without their starting quarterback, JT Daniels. (laughs) You know, Zamir White rushed for two touchdowns, recovered a block for another score. Stetson Bennett, 7 for 11 for 72 yards. Good enough. (laughs) Good enough. Georgia ran for 273 yards, controlled the ball for 36 minutes, and had 22 first downs and they've got the best defense in the country by far. So the question is, if, if, if Georgia can go ahead and mow down everybody else, sets up the game of the century for the SEC championship game between Alabama and Georgia neutral field, really not the game of the century because both teams, if they wind up undefeated, are both going to the college football playoffs. So that's not really going to be the quote unquote game of the century, but When Georgia, when or if Georgia and Alabama play in the SEC championship game, the question will be, in terms of the game itself, how much is there a difference between Bryce Young and JT Daniels or Stetson Bennett, the quarterbacks between, you know, uh, uh, Bryce Young, Alabama, Daniels, Bennett, Georgia? How much is the difference between those two compared to the gap between the Alabama and Georgia's defense? So what I'm trying to say is, how much better is bryce young to Georgia's defense and what can jt daniels and stetson bennett do in terms of being just somewhat competent to say Georgia's defense is like look if you guys can just put some points on the board man just give us 24 give us 24 i don't know how you're going to get it maybe we can help out with a pick six or a block punt or something but give us 24 and we'll win this game because with our defense, we ain't letting Alabama score 30, scoring 35 or 42 on us. Ain't no way. So it's going to come down to quarterback play between the two squads, and then the Georgia's and then Georgia's defense. What's going to be happening? What's going to be going on? Because through five games, Georgia's given up only 23 points total. Total. <laughs> so it's it's wow. And then you take a look at the top 10 games from this week: Oregon losing at Stanford 31-24. Gave that, game a win, gave that game away. Penn State, the number 14, they shut out Indiana, 24-0. Iowa, Friday night, impressive. Beating um, my Maryland, Mike Loxley's 51-14, to which sets up a very tasty early game this uh, upcoming weekend. Penn State and Iowa. I might be talking about that game on my next podcast. Hmm. Number six, Oklahoma. Doing what they need to do against Kansas State, 37-31. I mean, at least Spencer Rattler didn't get booed. I mean, you know, he had to go home. He had to play in front of his home crowd for that. And then Florida losing to Kentucky, 24-13. After the game, Kentucky's up there shouting, we want Bama. Didn't Vanderbilt do that a couple of years ago with Derek Mason at the head coach? They beat some squad, and they were like 2-0 or 3-0, and they're like, we want Bama. And then they lost like 216 nothing. Don't, uh don't stop feeling froggy there kentucky just just worry about the uh, basketball season so the game of the week number seven cincinnati over number nine notre dame 24 14 24 13 excuse me desmond ritter threw two touchdown passes ran for a late score in the fourth quarter when uh notre dame looked like they might be you know in position to uh, come back and win that game but Rattler, after starting the game 5-12 of and missing a couple of uh, passes, made up for it and did what he needed to do to make Notre Dame say no mas, near the end of the football game. Look, man, the offensive line for Notre Dame sucks. The quarterback was the uh, thing that uh, sunk Notre Dame and their chances of winning this game. Drew Pine, 9 for 22, 143 yards. Jack Cohn who we replaced, went 14-22 for 114 yards. The running game, because of the poor offensive line and the lack of uh, skill players, did nothing. 84 yards and 28 carry, 3 yards per rush. So we take a look at the new top 10 very quickly because we got Alabama, number one, Georgia, number two. Iowa is number three. Penn State, number four. Cincinnati, number five. Oklahoma, number six. Number seven, Ohio State. Oregon, number eight. Michigan, number nine. And BYU, number 10, so the question that comes from the Notre Dame-Cincinnati game the Cincinnati have a real chance, seriously, do they have a real chance of getting into the playoffs? How much chaos would have to happen for Cincinnati to uh, get into the playoffs, and how much bullshit is going to have to happen for Cincinnati not to get into the playoffs, because depending upon what happens, the SEC champion, if, if everything goes the way it's supposed to go. or looks like it's going to be going. You're going to have two teams from the SEC. You're going to have Georgia. You're going to have Alabama. Then you're going to have to have a conference winner from either the Big Ten, the Big 12, or the Pac-12 being there, right? So that's going to take up another spot. So where did that leave the fourth spot? What are we going to do here? Because depending upon what happens, it could be Oklahoma. Depending upon what happens, it could be someone from the Big Ten. I mean, if you take a look at the schedule for Cincinnati that's it so their best win is going to be against um their best win is going to be against Notre Dame and what's going to be happening with Notre Dame because they don't play anybody either so they've lost one game what's happened if they lose to Stanford speaking of Notre Dame what happened if they slip up one more time from a committee that I don't know I'm not in there and I never you know had an interview with them and I didn't give them truth sermon but my Estimation. My guess is that they really, they really aren't interested in having Cincinnati in the Final Four when they can have a team from one of the Power Five conferences. And I'm quite sure the members of the Power Five conferences, no matter how good a Cincinnati or a non-Power Five school is, they don't want them to uh, take their place in the college football championship. Championship, especially if you just speaking about a conference like the Pac-12, who hadn't had a member in that playoff for years. And you're speaking about two teams from the SEC. I mean, there's going to be a conference or two that's going to be butthurt to the utmost if a Cincinnati is going to be getting in over one of the teams from their conference, which might be a good thing because it might constitute that the, um, um, that that college football does move to a 12-team playoff. But you take a look here, what's going to be happening? I mean, if Oregon doesn't lose again, is their resume going to be better than Cincinnati? If Iowa... Or Penn State. What happens with Ohio State? Ohio State's on the outside looking in. What happens if they run the table? And their only loss is to uh, Oregon. And they go ahead and they beat Penn State. And they go ahead and they beat Iowa in the championship game. And they go ahead and beat Michigan. That resume is going to be more impressive than Cincinnati. So for me, I said it before previewing this game that Cincinnati would have to blow out Penn State excuse me they would have to blow out Notre Dame I mean put a whooping on them like uh like Georgia did Arkansas or like Alabama did Mississippi only worse for I think the committee to really sit there and say man you know what I mean you know regardless Cincinnati is a damn good team because Cincinnati doesn't play anybody else there are two major wins are Indiana and Notre Dame Indiana is hovering around 500 right now. So at the end of the season, what does beating Indiana mean? Not much, especially, again, if you have resumes like Oregon or Ohio State or Oklahoma or Michigan or Iowa or Penn State who are going to have multiple opportunities to uh, put um, top 10 schools on their mantelpiece all over their fireplace. So I don't know. I thought that uh, it was a nice game. I think Cincinnati in a 12-team playoff would be more more than deserving. But in a situation like this, unfortunately, I don't think that uh, the win over Notre Dame was impressive, impressive enough for them when everything is all said and done. Unless there's complete chaos. Unless Oregon loses. Unless Penn State loses once or twice unless Iowa loses once or twice unless Oklahoma loses I mean it's going to have to be complete chaos Alabama Georgia I don't even think Alabama and Georgia losing would um, help the causes of Cincinnati I think Alabama and Georgia are so entrenched in the one and two position I don't think that uh, anything can move them out of danger out of uh, the possibility of, of competing seriously for a playoff spot so what does that leave Iowa, Penn State? I mean, it would have to be complete. It would have to be complete and total chaos. Like, like Penn State not only losing to Ohio State, but then losing to a Northwestern or losing to a Michigan State. Michigan, Ohio State would have to lose to Michigan. That would knock them out. But Michigan then would have to lose to a, a team in the Big Ten and then lose in the championship game of the conference. So I don't know. And that conference championship winner in the Big Ten would they supersede Cincinnati and get into the final? Uh, spot for the playoffs, so all of these things are still to be determined, but good chance for, or good opportunity, good weekend for Cincinnati, but in the long term, that victory over Notre Dame, when it comes down to the selection committee, when everything is all said and done for the four teams in the college football playoffs, unfortunately, Cincinnati is going to fall just short. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Bring me that P Funk. Thank you very much, George. Final segment of the podcast. Thank you very much for staying with me and listening to uh, what I have to say in terms of what's happening in the world of sports very quickly because i got a limited amount of time because I have to get ready for school tomorrow. I just want to go ahead and speak about the uh, NBA. I'm not going to be speaking about the Lakers. I'm not going to be speaking about who's going to be winning the championship. I'm not going to be speaking about some of the moves that were made in the uh, preseason or the offseason in terms of the free agency signing. So I'm going to leave the Chicago Bulls alone. I'm going to be leaving some of the teams that made a lot of acquisitions alone, I'm going to be leaving thoughts about the uh, draft picks. I'm going to be leaving Kate Cunningham, who I guess what sprained his ankle or some nonsense like that in a uh, practice, so he's going to be missing a few days for Detroit. So I'm going to be leaving that stuff alone. I'm going to be leaving talk about the Golden State Warriors and Clay Thompson's returning, and I'm going to be leaving all the trade talks with Ben Simmons and Bradley Beal and. And uh, Damian Lillard alone, even though Beal and Lillard have not mentioned anything about being traded. All they've talked about is how much they want to uh, stay with their organization. But everybody's just on the assumption because of the teams that they're playing on and the directions that they're going. Two guys and Beal and Lillard who want to win a championship and talking about winning a championship. It's like, well, if you want to win a championship, why in the world are you going to be staying with teams, with franchises that are not going anywhere towards that goal with portland and my washington wizards so the vultures are circling in terms of when is it going to be the time when lillard or beal say you know what i've had enough you're right time for me to get out of here so i'll leave all of that discussion talk for my next podcast i keep saying that next podcast next podcast when it comes to the nba because the season starts and on the 21st i believe a thursday i think with the um Who's playing? Who's playing on the uh, opening day? I know Miami is playing Milwaukee, I think. And who? What's the TNT game? Dallas at Atlanta and the Clippers at Golden State on TNT, and Milwaukee's is going to be at Atlanta. So, yeah, in the next couple of weeks, the loves of my life are going to be starting the season, the NBA, so I will definitely be getting into that because there are some juicy, juicy storylines and situations that I want to be getting into. But, I just want to talk about what's happening with this whole vaccination thing with the NBA. 95% of the players say, or the league says, 95% of the players are vaccinated. Okay. But you've got some very loud dissidents of not getting vaccinated. And at the head of the list, surprise, surprise, the usual suspect. Kyrie Irving talking about, hey, you know what? I don't want to talk about it. It's a personal decision about whether I'm vaccinated or not. Now, playing for the Nets and playing for... The Brooklyn Nets in Brooklyn, the state of New York, Bill de Blasio, the mayor, has, uh, issued a situation where it's like, look, you're not vaccinated, you can't go to work. So, you know, it's a situation where if Kyrie Irving is not vaccinated, and by all accounts, he's not vaccinated, there could be a situation where Kyrie Irving is not going to be available for the Brooklyn Nets during their home games. So we don't know. I don't know. No one knows. I'm quite sure. Steve Dash doesn't know. Uh, Joe Side, the owner of the Nets, doesn't know teammates don't know they don't know exactly what the next move of Kyrie Irving's is going to be this is the situation where let's go both ends of the spectrum Kyrie Irving could be vaccinated and he could be on the court tomorrow or Kyrie Irving could decide that he's going to retire from the NBA because of this whole vaccination situation either or I'm not saying it's going to happen but with Kyrie Irving You don't know what's going to happen. For him, it's like one spectrum of the end to the other and everything else in between. And you don't know what's going to do, man. Kyrie Irving could decide. um, Let me see. I'm recording this now at 7.20 Pacific Standard Time. Kyrie Irving out there in San Diego could decide, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and get the vaccine at 7.20. And then at 7.25, decide to say, you know what, I changed my mind. I'm not going to get the vaccine. And if that means I'm going to have to retire... Then I'm going to have to retire. With Kyrie Irving, you, you don't know what's going to happen. They're not going to trade Kyrie Irving because the Kyrie Irvings had made um, statements like, if I do get traded from the Nets, I'm not going to report. I'd rather retire than go ahead and report. With other players who say some shit like that, it might be like, oh, yeah, well, we'll see. With Kyrie Irving, you have to kind of believe it because Kyrie Irving, the unique individual that he is, dances and goes to, his, goes to the beat of his own drum, so you don't know. That's a good thing and that's a bad thing when you're dealing with Kyrie Irving. Um, my, my whole situation with him, my whole situation with Bradley Beal, and my whole situation with these guys, Jonathan Isaac of the Orlando Magic, Andrew Wiggins, who did finally get vaccinated so he'll be able to play for the Golden State Warriors. My, my whole situation with these guys who weren't getting vaccinated and then you say, the, well, it's a private decision, it's a you know, personal decision. No, it's not, man. Tell, tell me the reason why. Now, you don't have to go into great detail. And of course, you don't have to be as bland as saying, well, you want me to go into detail? Let me. I'll go into detail on why I didn't get the vaccine Vaccine because I don't want to. Next question. But what? what's the reason why? I'm interested in knowing what the reason why. Because depending upon what the reason, it's a situation where, look, if you're a man, if you're strong, if you're strong in your convictions, let me know. Maybe it's a situation where, look, well, I have an you know, immune deficiency or my immune system doesn't react well to vaccines and that's the reason why I'm not doing it. Or, okay, I understand that, but I'm just curious and interested to find out why. Why? Because you don't trust the government, because this is something that uh, someone is telling you to do. They're taking away your freedom and liberties. I mean, what what's the reason? Good decision, bad decision? I mean, Bradley Beal's talking about, well, if you get the vaccine, you still get sick. Okay, but... but Bradley, that's not one of the main reasons why you're going to get the vaccine. It's it's, it's more than just that. It's more than just that. So come on, man, you got to give me a little bit something more than, you know, I'm going to be letting my teammates down and I'm going to be, um, you know, what what you do with your money and, you know, I'm not into, you know, evaluating, I'm not into giving my thoughts and opinions about, you know, these guys, if if this is their stand, if this is the hill they're going to die on and it means giving up their salary it's not my decision, it's not my place, you know, it's none of my business to, you know, tell these people, you know, you should be concerned about how much money you make, you should be, hey, that's your chicken, you know, that's your cheddar, that you do what you need to do, it's none of my business in terms of that situation, you know, if you're doing this for, you know, I'm, I'm not going to criticize you one way or the other if, you know, this is going to mean that it's going to cost you paychecks. You know, Kyrie Irving, it could cost him, you know, in upwards of about, what, $370,000 if he doesn't get vaccinated and he starts missing game checks. I'm not going to criticize the man for that because, you know what, it's his money, not mine. But I I will criticize him in the sense that, hey, man, I mean, you know, this is a situation where, you know, you're kind of letting your teammates down, your teammates' nature. So what's going to be happening? Now, maybe the Brooklyn Nets are keep saying everything's going to work out fine. We're not panicking. We're not worried. Maybe it's a situation where it's like, look, Kyrie can go ahead and do what he needs to do in October and November and maybe December. And maybe there's enough time when he finally comes back, when he finally decides to get the vaccine or whatever. When he finally rejoins a team that, you know, we're talented enough and we have enough time to where we don't need 82 games, the blend and mesh and, and game chemistry and all those type of things. Maybe we need 40 games. Maybe we need only 50 games. I mean, hell, if it wasn't for Kevin Durant shooting a two instead of a three and James Harden uh, laboring at 30% and, I, and uh, Kyrie missing the series against Milwaukee because of injury, maybe it's a situation with the limited amount of time that those guys played together that maybe they still would have won the championship. So it's a, there's a... Argument to be made right there considering that so you know Steve Nash and these guys I mean they I I don't know if anybody really has the finger on the pulse of what Kyrie Irving wants to do or what he's doing but just for all those guys I would just like to find out why really. I got vaccinated because, you know what, what's the worst thing it's supposed to be for me getting vaccinated is because, you know, I have a mother who I'm going to be visiting and she's 87 years old and I don't want her to get sick. I'm around people who I don't want to get sick. I don't want to be a situation where I'm going to be compromising myself where I could get sick. By not getting vac- vaccinated, folks who know exactly what's going on, smart people who kind of do this for a living, smart people much smarter than me are telling me in terms of who are in, in this business of trying to find out how to deal with these viruses as such are saying that, you know what, taking this, this vaccine will help. Taking this vaccine will get us back to normal. All right. So for me, what's the worst taking a vaccine? For me, taking a vaccine, what does it mean? What, what would be the worst case scenario? I ain't going to die from it. I'm not going to have any lengthy illness from it. It's not going to compromise me. I'm not going to have some long-term effect. I'm not going to go blind. I'm not going to, uh, you know, compromise my immune system to the fact where I could be susceptible to other diseases. If it's going to help me and if it's going to help society and if it's going to help others, then why wouldn't I take it? Okay, so you might be down for 24 hours. So you might be feeling some effects. The long-term effects is it's going to reduce the chances that it might kill you or it might make you gravely ill. So, sure, I'm going to go ahead and take it. That's my reason. And I'm glad and I'm happy and I'm proud to go ahead and tell my reasons. I've had people talk, you know, I've talked to people about this who are not getting the virus, who are not getting the shot, who've said, look, you know, my immune system just probably couldn't handle it. I took a few flu shot years ago and, uh, Damn thing killed me, so I'm not I'm not doing it. But if you're you're doing, if you're going on the bullshit of, well, you know I don't trust the government, and you know Steve Jobs or not Steve Jobs, but you know Bill Gates is behind this, and you know this is corruption, or I don't trust the government, and they're taking away my liberties and my freedoms and everything. If, if that's the case, then you're you're an idiot and you're a moron and you sound like one. And if Bradley Beal and these guys really feel that way, then let us know so we can educate you guys. Because you're completely ignorant on the uh, concept. You're completely ignorant on the reasons of why you're not taking the vaccine. If you have a reason why you don't want to take it, then don't take it. I don't give a fuck. It's your life. But in the situation of Kyrie and all this type of stuff, you're you're letting down your teammates. And I don't know, man. I don't know. Moving forward. And like I said, the league is 95% vaccinated, then I don't know why the the players union doesn't go out and say, look, if you're not going to get vaccinated, you're not going to play and you're not going to get paid. Especially if you're speaking about what 5%, if the league is truly 95%, you know, being vaccinated, what 5% are not? Because if the 5%, I know LeBron is vaccinated, but if you have like LeBron and the big stars are those who are not being vaccinated, then yeah, you don't go ahead and you don't make that uh, edict. But if you're talking about you know, fringe players or, you know, who, no, who get the fuck players, you know, in terms of, you know, for the, for the health of the game, they're the majority of the 5% who are not vaccinated. You put that rule in and you say, if you're the eighth or ninth or 10th or 12th man on the team and you don't want to get vaccinated, see ya, see ya, wouldn't want to be you. Now, if it's again, if it's, if it was of someone of the stature of LeBron, if that type of player made up the 5%, I can understand the hesitancy to uh, go ahead and say, eh, you know, we're not going to put that as a uh, rule, but, uh, you know, the the, the the majority of the players who, uh, you know, basically run this league, the Chris Pauls and the LeBrons and the superstars of the world, they kind of dictate to the uh, rank and file what is Culture, culture, and what is not culture when it comes to the NBA? So if Chris Paul and those guys are vaccinated, I don't know why they wouldn't flex their muscles a little bit more to say, "Hey, look, if you're not going to be vaccinated, then guess what? You ain't getting paid." So there you go. So interesting, very interesting. All right, that's good enough for me. I'm going to end this bad boy, and I'm going to end this bad boy with this. I was watching. I was scrolling through what's going to be on PBS tonight because I wanted to see if Frontline, my favorite show, is going to be on tonight, which is not. But one of my other favorite shows, American Masters on PBS, is showing a program, and it's going to be about Rita Moreno. And for those who don't know who Rita Moreno is, this woman is flipping unbelievable. She was um, an actress, a dancer, Tony Award winner. I mean, she's been around forever. I mean, she was... Uh, I forgot the name of her character in West Side Story, but um, she was fucking amazing. This woman was so doggone sexy. I hate to say was because, you know, that's showing ageism, but she's in her 80s. Domina, you know, I mean, someone in their 30s, someone in their 20s, someone in their 40s, someone in their late 40s, someone in their 80s it's a difference, but at being for 80, she looks fantastic, she looks fabulous, for, and I hate to say this also, for someone being in her 80s, she looks fabulous, I mean, she's just, she's just gorgeous, I mean, you know, the Lord said, I'm gonna make you gorgeous for forever, and Lord have mercy, that's what she was, so, um, I am definitely going to be watching that, I mean, she was sexy, Marlon Brando and her had a torrid relationship, but, you know, we speak about, Marilyn Monroe, when we speak about sex, sex symbols of the past and we, you know, go to the uh, same old bullshit, you know, of the um, James Manfield, who was sexy, and the um, Marilyn Monroes and the Aubrey Hepburns and uh, and Lana Turners of the world, the Igrid Bergmans of the world, who were all very attractive women. They always leave out females like uh, Rita Moreno and Dorothy Dandridge and such, and, but then they were just as gorgeous, just as attractive, just as talented as any of them white women that are always plastered um and talked about i guess we should talk about rita moreno a little bit more in our history books but you know fucking fools out there with their critical race theory bullshit you know don't want to uh, have the youngsters they don't want to have white folks the the white kids you know realize that you know white folks did something wrong back in the day so we're going to try to erase all that nonsense and just say don't worry about it it's just the black and hispanics have a you know, have a, have a thing about it, but, uh, that's what I'm going to end with. I'm going to end with, uh, America from the, uh, from West Side Story. Awesome movie. Enjoyed the movie. Even though, again, you have white folks playing Puerto Ricans. I mean, um, Natalie Wood playing the lead role. I don't know why they didn't do a remake of that and have Jennifer Lopez as one of the uh, stars, you know, kind of do it right in terms of West Side Story and making it right in terms of, look, if you're going to be talking about a white gang and a Puerto Rican gang, well then how about for the Puerto Rican gang we actually have as actors and actresses, Puerto Ricans. How about that? So uh, yeah, I'm going to end the the program today with, america and it's interesting this movie was made in 1961 and 60 years later the stuff that they were singing and dancing about in this clip that i'm going to show you is still prevalent today not just with the black community but also with the latino and hispanic and mexican and other such communities and for those who want to youtube the song go to 233 uh two minutes and 33 seconds of the song first of all the choreograph the choreography is unbelievable. These folks dancing are just so flippin' talented. It's unbelievable. But watch Marino. The look she gives at the 2:33 mark—so flippin' sexy. Goodness gracious sakes alive! No wonder Marlon Brando went nuts and every other uh, Hollywood star. The woman still is, and just 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 a national treasure, and, and a legend—a living legend that more people should know more about. The sexy, the unbelievable, the highly talented. Rita Moreno. We're going to be ending the program. A special dedication going out to her in America. Wendell's World in Sports. Thank you very much for listening. Miss Moreno, and that wonderful song of theirs, take it away.
1: I like to be in America. Okay by me in America. Everything free in America. For a small fee in America. Okay. It is so nice One look at us and they charge twice I have my own washing machine What will you have, though, to keep clean? Skyscrapers bloom in America lot zoom in America Industry boom in America Wealth in a room in America <laughs> Lots of new housing with more space Lots of doors slamming in our face. I'll get a terrorist apartment. Better get rid of your accent. Life can be bright in America if you can fight in America. Life is alright in America if you're all white in America. Oh. Everywhere crime in America, Ah. organized crime in America, Ah. terrible time in America. You forget I'm in America.